ahead and have a seat. Have a seat. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. Fathers, why don't you go ahead and stand up? You know, I was thinking about this. Yeah, give them a hand. Give them a hand. I think, I was thinking, I couldn't find a, uh, a video that was funny enough for fathers uh, that was as funny as our Mother's Day video. And then it made me think, you know what? Our, we are only as good as our wives make us. And so I, I just, and it's weird standing up here as a father, uh, and I think, man, I am really only as good as my wife makes me. And uh, with our kids, just being a father, she has really, isn't that awesome? So I think that Father's Day maybe should be a second Mother's Day. Um, it's, just, it's just awesome. So as we, not really, because I, I like eating steak and doing the manly stuff, you know. But uh, so happy Father's Day to all you fathers. I'm going to have my beautiful wife come on up front, and she's going to make an uh, announcement about our, our missions trip. So go ahead and give her a hand, because she has made me a better man. Thanks. Let's just be clear. Nick and I are not fighting. Our marriage is good. He just is very nice this morning, which happy Father's Day, by the way, to both of you, since I haven't said it yet. So anyway, that was very nice. Wow. Okay. Let's get started. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about our missions trip. Um, our theme originally is brokenness, but we're kind of calling it Plan B, because you know that we are not going to Arizona because of the lack of help that we've had. But thankfully, through recent, I don't know, meeting new people, we will be going to Freedom for Youth Campus the week of July 7th through the 13th. So just some details. Um, it starts July 7th that night. The youth will be staying at the Olivet Building throughout the week. In the morning from Monday through Friday, we will be going to the Freedom for Youth Campus and doing whatever they have for us there. Um, that Saturday, they have a carnival, so we'll be helping out with that carnival on Saturday, but we will help prepare for it throughout the week. In the afternoon, we'll be doing some outdoor evangelism, so that will be fun and interesting and out of our comfort zones. And we do have some needs. Um, so I, today, what I have for you, hang on just a second. I'm going to pass on a sign-up sheet, and I have three needs. Um, our first need is for dinner. We, I, myself, will need some help preparing meals, just dinner, breakfast and lunch are covered. So all you need to do is show up from four to six, Sunday through Friday, okay? And that's on here too. Um, the number two, we need help with showers. We are all gonna get stinky and there's no showers at the Olivet Building. So our plan is from Monday through Friday, from one to two will be shower time. So if you live near Olivet, we would appreciate it if you would come at one o'clock, pick up two to three students, bring them to your house so they can shower and bring them back. Okay? <laughs> it's really weird, but it's just what we have to do. Um, and then finally, the third thing, and I'm obviously most excited about this, but when we have gone to Arizona, every day at 10 o'clock, um, whoever, the, sta the staff that's around, the volunteers that are around that did not go off to a house to help fix it, we would, we would pray at 10 o'clock and we would encourage each other. And that would be me and Renee and our moms and some of the people who lived at the, at the mission. So we're going to do the same thing here. So Monday through Friday, if you are available at 10 o'clock, even if you have kids, you can bring them too. We'll be praying for every student, for the ministries that we're involved in, and then we have opportunity to encourage them with notes and stuff like that. So 
dinner uh, at four, showers at one, prayer at 10. So if that's something that you can do, we would love it. And we, we are not gender specific. We're open to everyone, okay? And I think that's it. And Raleigh has an announcement. All right, thank you. I just wanna give our weekly update on our, our uh, building situation. First of all, I wanna thank each and every one of you guys that, that came out to Olivet last week to make an extremely and an incredible morning. Uh, they were overwhelmed and appreciated just, just the whole morning and, and the fellowship and the friendships that we continued. So I wanna thank each and every one of you guys that, that came out, it was, it was an incredible morning. Also, I wanna thank all the uh, all the ladies and the cooks and everybody helped clean up and the, that helped on the uh, impromptu um, picnic after, after, after the service there. That was also a great time of fellowship, getting to know those guys much better. They, they appreciated it a lot. And, and uh, just thanks, thank you for all those who uh, took part in that. Also last uh, um, Wednesday night, we had a, a question and answer period. And I want to thank everybody that came out to that who had questions. Hopefully we got some of the questions answered and, and uh, a very positive, very, very uh, enjoyable evening. But uh, got some things to pray about. You uh, uh, can pray. You can be praying quietly right now, because probably as we speak, the the Olivet Church is voting on on the sale of their building. And so, it's very, I mean, at this probably very moment. So uh, we just want to remember. Just pray that God's will be done in in that whole situation. Um, on Tuesday night of this week, Olivet's board will meet to okay the uh, the, the sale of the building. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to have our vote. And uh, the, the next Sunday, it's going to be at 10 o'clock, right before this service. So uh, um, come here, come prepared to vote. Uh, anybody who's, uh, who is 18 years of age or older and a member of Cornerstone is, is welcome to, to vote in this. If you have any questions um, uh, about that, about whether you're a member, or, uh, you can see me or, or one of the other elders, and we can uh, kind of help answer any questions you may have. But uh, um, if you're not able to make it next week, there are gonna be absentee ballots available. Um, the way to get one of these ballots would be either to see me, we don't have them today, but we'll get them to you, either see me or Mike Johnson, or you can uh, email at um, um, questions at cornerstonedm.com. That'd be questions at cornerstonedm.com dot com for for a ballot now uh you know how this thing is going to work we're still working uh on getting information to the bank uh so we can obtain our, our financing so we don't have all the answers to those questions we have we have many of the answers but not all those all the answers to those questions so basically what the, what the ballot will will say is that we're agree we're agree agreeing upon a sale not to exceed a number of 1.8 million dollars okay so that would that's what we've talked about. I don't want to get, get into a lot of detail here, but um, that's pretty much the simplicity of all that. So um, let's just pray that everything goes favorably for us here in the next week, uh, next couple of weeks. Uh, our, our anticipated uh, arrival at that building or what they're looking for is uh, the first Sunday in July, which is July 7th. Uh, we won't have all the financial uh, questions answered. We won't, we won't have all the answers to all the questions, but uh, 
Um, it, as we discussed with the Olivet uh, people, they're wanting us in there as soon as possible. We're wanting to get in there. I know we were in, we were in this auditorium here about, about uh, 8 o'clock this morning, and it was hot. I said, you know, let's just leave it hot. Let these guys sweat a little bit, so perhaps uh, may influence the vote, no, one way or another. But anyhow, we got a lot to pray about. Pray for our brothers and sisters at Olivet again. They're, they're as they, as they uh, deal with this whole uh, scenario, it's a struggle for them. It's, it's like a, a loss of a family member. Some of these people have been there a long time. Let's be sensitive to them. Let's, let's pray that if it's God's will, you know, the things will, will take place that need to take place in the next week will take place. So uh, any questions about it, you can see me later on. But, but uh, thank you for your help and your support. offended this morning. I have to get it out there before I talk to you guys. Last week, Kyle was speaking, and 270 people showed up to hear him. 270 people showed up to listen to Kyle. So I'm telling myself this morning before I'm getting up here, if there's not 200, I'm not getting up. So I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to prepare myself for that, and I see that it's not going to be 200. So I'm trying to get my pride out of the way this morning. Plus, I didn't get a cool Justin Timberlake headset thing. So I'll try to recover, try to be able to bring something this morning after I've been let down. You must have something special. Uh, happy Father's Day. I hope you guys will allow me this morning. I'm going to do a mini message before the message, so you get two for the price of one this morning. But for me, again, like Nick said, the moms do so much, you almost need a couple days a year to acknowledge that because they do all the behind-the-scenes stuff that nobody sees and all the getting ready and making sure the house, if something happened to my wife, probably wouldn't be able to maintain what goes on in our house on a daily basis. But us dads play a pretty important role, and I think it's one that we overlook a lot of times. I know I do. I fail a lot as a father. And for me, it's really easy to be a dad because my kids are so awesome. Uh, for example, Colin this morning. Uh, he just wants to make days special for people that need it. And so this morning, he just could not wait till I woke up for him to be able to give me a present and to be able to tell me Happy Father's Day. Now, Sylvie just ran in and ran out and didn't say anything. But Colin wanted to make sure it was a special. If you see him today, he wanted to dress just like Dad on Father's Day. So he's dressed just like me. And my name's not Happy Father's Day. That was from Colin. Uh, that's what that was my name tag today. So, um, but speaking of Colin, I wanted to give a little message this morning about being a father. Uh, like I said, I think I overlook it a lot, take it for granted. Uh, so, first thing I wanted to talk about was I think us dads, our words are more important to our kids than we think. I think they impact our kids more than we know. And just the other night, we were at a birthday party. And uh, all the kids were bobbing for apples, playing this game, and, and most of the kids were doing it. It was Colin's turn. He just kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. Ten minutes. I mean, he's drowning himself trying to get this apple. And finally, we said, it's time to stop. He starts crying. And I kind of get on to him. It's okay, with, it's okay if other kids can do this. You can lose sometimes. It's all right. And he's like, it's not that. And he just keeps crying. I'm trying to tell him to calm down. And he said some words that floored me. He said, you've treated me like this before, and you don't understand. And so what I had to do was take him off to the side, and I said, Colin, what do you mean by that? He said, Dad, 
a long time ago, we were playing shoots and ladders. <laughs> and I started crying, and you said it was because I was losing. But that's not why I was crying. But you didn't listen to me. And then you yelled at me because I was crying. And so now you're doing the same thing. So I had to recover from that to realize sometimes my words can leave a lasting impact on my little ones. Something I said, that had to have been over a year ago when they were playing shoots and ladders. He never forgot. And he held on to it until the next time something like that happened, and then he just started crying because he felt that pain. And so our words are very important to our little ones. They may never forget words that we forgot right after we said it. And so what I had to do in that instance, I had to stop and say, okay, son, why are you crying? And here was the other part of it. I have to actually listen to what's going on with him. Because he said, Dad, I wasn't crying because I was losing. I was crying because I was frustrated because I didn't realize he has two loose teeth. And so he was trying to bob for apples with the side of his mouth for 10 minutes, trying to get it with the side teeth. And he was just frustrated and upset because he couldn't do it just like the other kids, not because he was going to lose. We have to stop and listen. Second thing, I've been failing at this a lot this year, is coming home and giving the attention to the kids because they need it. I think for us in our busy days and we go throughout work and, and then we have this, this list in our heads of things that need to get done around the house and what we're trying to do and how we're tired and all these things going on. And, and we get through the day and I think a lot of times my motivation becomes let's get through everything that we need to get through, let's spend some time with the kids Give them their time and then get them to bed so then I can have my time. So finally, they're in bed, now I can rest. The problem with that is if I'm looking forward to that 9 o'clock time or 8.30 time or 8 o'clock time, whenever it is that I get my kids to bed, what I forget is my kids look forward all day to having that time with dad. I mean, that's what they look forward to, probably more than I look forward to my time alone or my time to rest. So what we have to remember as dads, they want that attention. They want it more than that basketball game we've been waiting for to come on TV or that event that allows us, like Father's Day, to take it easy. They've been waiting all day, every day, for, our, for us to come home, give them the attention they want. My daughter this morning put on the dress and said, Daddy, do I look beautiful? They want to hear it. They want our attention. For me... What I've got to realize is I've got to set my phone down and the TV aside. And we all have to do that. It's become really hard to be able to set down technology or whatever we have going on to pay attention, truly pay attention. Not texting here, yes, yes, and listening, and let me finish this, yes, or what are you telling me? Give them our full attention. Lock in. Because I guarantee you, whoever you're talking to on text, or whatever you're looking at on Facebook, or whatever is going on on TV is not near as important as the little ones right in front of us. I struggle with that. I fail at that all the time. Lastly, we protect them. I want to be a dad that protects my kids. And I'm not just saying provide for them financially, give them clothes to wear on a daily basis, make sure there's food on the table. I'm saying we want to protect them, their hearts. We want to take care of them. I was just thinking the other day of a, some friend of ours and their little girl who was sick. And she 
And I was asking her about being sick, and she just beamed and lit up. She said, yeah, I was sick, but in the night, my dad had to check on me five times. And she was so excited that her dad was protecting her, taking care of her. That's what they want from us. They want us to listen. They want us to talk to them like we love them. They want our attention, and they want us to take care of them. There's my little mini message before the, the regular message, but had some things going on in my mind that I wanted to get off my heart um, this morning. So, John chapter 9. Yes, we're still in John, and we will be for a little while longer. Um, but we've had some good messages going through this. This morning, I get to talk about Jesus healing the blind man. So if you guys don't know, you probably do. When I'm speaking on a message throughout the weeks before, I try to connect with that. And I pray about it, and I try to relate to what's going on. And so in my mind, what I'm praying about is I'm trying to look at the view from someone who was born blind and was about to be healed. Really hard for me, and can we, get, can we drop the lights a little bit? Just for a little bit. Really hard for me to connect with someone who'd never experienced being able to see anything before being healed. So I had to draw off the experience of someone close to me that has a little bit of an experience with being blind. Can we throw a picture up there? Can you guys see that? There we go. That is my friend Kyle, if you guys don't know him. He has some experience with not being able to see very well. And that picture specifically is after he tore two retinas. And that's how he had to look at his phone for months. He just had to hold it right up to his face. So we were making fun of him that whole weekend. So if you guys cannot connect with this message, you can talk to Kyle, because I'm sure he's like praying for healing. When's the, uh, when's the surgery? Thursday. So you guys can be praying for Kyle as he may be able to see after Thursday, at least in one eye. I want to dive into this, and I do want you guys to try to connect. Because we obviously are not just talking about somebody that's blind and then can all of a sudden see. We're talking about something deeper than that, something more spiritual. So I want you guys to try to connect with this as we tell the story. John chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 1. We're just going to tell the story here. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, back in the day, they thought if somebody had something wrong with them, like a defect or blindness, that was because of sin. Had to be. And so this man born blind, they're asking, what could he have done or what could have his parents done to cause him to be blind? And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sins. Uh, sin, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And this is kind of a cool example of what we see a lot of times throughout other people's lives, that just because something happened to somebody that's a good person or is um, not necessarily this horrible person, doesn't mean that it's because of something they did. Sometimes God tries to use bad circumstances in our lives for good. I was thinking about Joni Erickson Tata, if a lot of you guys, maybe some of you guys know who she is, but this woman who was paralyzed early, and she took that being paralyzed, and then she impacted all these people for Christ throughout the, you know, throughout the rest of her, I mean, she's still living, she's not dead, but she took that, and now she's taken that bad circumstance, and God used that in her life. And so these things sometimes happen for other people to be an impact or be impacted. And so that's what's going on here. He said, nobody's sinning, or nobody sinned for this to happen. I wanted it to happen to be able to 
use this example to show my work. And so as long as it is day, this is verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of Him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And again, there's going to be a lot of connections here between darkness and light. And throughout this whole story, obviously Jesus is the light. He's the only way that we are able to experience that light. And he brings that out right there. I am the light of the world. Verse 6, Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So for me, that so the man went and washed and came home seeing, for me that was a little anticlimactic. I'm kind of dramatic. I like to get into stories. I'm the kind of guy that goes and watches this great love story in the movie. And when it's over, I want the next hour just to show the rest of the story. Like, we built up all this time waiting for these people to get together, and then it finally happened. Can't we see it now? And so, as John's telling this story about the blind man, all he says was, he went, he washed, and then he could see. I didn't get a reaction out of the blind man. I don't want to, you know, this guy hadn't seen a thing for years and years and years. Never experienced light, color, seeing the people he loved. And all of a sudden, for the first time in his life, he can see, and I want to hear about it. I want to know what this guy was thinking. They don't say that. There's a reason. It's not because John doesn't like description. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him beg, beg, uh, begging asked, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claim that he was. Others says, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. So it's funny. The people closest to him, his neighbors, they obviously recognized him but they could not allow themselves to believe that it was the same man. And all that was was a lack of faith in their lives. That this person that had been in their lives on a daily basis, his neighbors, they couldn't allow themselves to believe that this man could be changed just like this. They just had lack of faith in their lives. We experienced that ourselves. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now that day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So how many times are we going to see Jesus throughout Scriptures heal somebody, and it happens on the Sabbath where the Pharisees jump in and say, why is he healing on the Sabbath? And again, I want you guys to understand this role that the Pharisees are playing in this story. These are religious leaders that feel like they've got it all together. They really stay true to Old Testament law, and they live by it. They want to make sure that everything is upheld. And so they have a hard time seeing beyond that. And so that's the reason why it just keeps coming back. As Jesus heals on the Sabbath, they have no reaction to the fact that this man that's been blind, there's no sympathy for this man that's been blind for years and years, that now he's healed. All they can see is that, oh, he's healed on the Sabbath? Well, then we've got to talk about this. 
Because that's not right. Because they're so tied to their works. They're so tied to upholding this law that they don't see beyond it. They don't get the significance of what just happened. So what they want to do is they want to find fault with this man and whoever healed him because it happened on the holy day. So, what verse was I at? Some of the Pharisees, uh, finally they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? This is verse 17. It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Obviously, the blind man did not know he was the Son of God. He's just attesting him to being somebody spiritual, somebody of God. And that's why he's calling him a prophet in this situation. Um, The Jews, verse 18, still did not believe that he had been blind and he had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can't see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how, can he, uh, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. So I find this, and it's ironic on Father's Day, that these folks are questioning his parents. Is this your son? Well, yeah, it's our son. Was he blind? Yes, he was blind. Well, how can he see? I don't know. Go ask him. We don't want to be in trouble. We don't want to be thrown out. Go talk to him. So they're basically, these parents who have just seen their son see for the first time in his life are ready to throw him under the bus. Go ask him. He's of age. He can talk for himself. We don't want to have anything to do with this. You would think in that situation, parents who grew up in that circumstance with their son not being able to see would be so overwhelmed that their son now is right that they would be able to do anything for him. But what they do in that situation is they turn him over to, uh, again to the Pharisees and say, go ask him yourself. We don't have anything to do with that. He's of age. Go talk to him yourself. A second time they summoned the man, this is verse 24, who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. This is really cool what he says. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. They're trying to push him into acknowledging that he's glorifying God in all of this. And so they ask him, basically, is this what you're doing? And he says, I, you know, I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't know who he is. All I know is what this man did for me was he took the fact that I was blind and he made it so I can see. Again, we'll talk about this later, but that's what happens to us. This is where we can start connecting to the story. Because there's a man who stepped into our lives and at a certain point, for years, maybe, for a long time, maybe for a short time, we were blind, but when we acknowledged him and he saved us, we could see. And this is where I want you guys to start connecting. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he, this is verse 27. He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. What do you want, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? So he kind of 
throws this back at the Pharisees. And you can imagine how upset they're going to be when he's saying, why do you keep asking? Do you want to be his disciples? Is that why you're asking this? Do you want to follow this man? And what they said, oh man. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. Going back to what I was talking about, they uphold to that law of the Old Testament. They know who they're following. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You do, not, you do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to God the man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not do anything. These Pharisees, again, were so caught up in what they try to do on a daily basis, striving to uphold that law, that they couldn't realize they had the Son of Man in their presence. And this blind man who has never seen anything, whose life was obviously not a very exciting or great life being blind, as he's healed, he's able to acknowledge this is remarkable. Do you see what just happened here? A man healed me, healed, took blindness and made it so now I could see. And you don't get that this man has to be from God. He has to be from God. There's no other explanation. And all the Pharisees want to do is try to condemn Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. They want this man who was just healed by him to acknowledge that this is not, this is not a good man. This man is a sinner. Again, verse 30. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They probably didn't like that comment about, do you want to be his followers too? And how do you not get this? They were being questioned. And it's funny, they, they come back to that, you were steeped in sin, how dare you talk to us? They come back to that, this guy was blind, so something had to have been done. I mean, his parents had to ascend, he had to ascend. So how dare this sinner talk to us that way? And they just kick him out. So Jesus comes back into the picture. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found found him, he said, and this is verse 35, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this is his opportunity. His life's been changed today. I don't know how he's not running around going and trying to take in as much as he can since his life's been changed, but he's sticking around and Jesus is asking him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man says, who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And how cool is it that he's actually there in front of him, and for the first time, this man can see, and he's actually looking at the Son of God. And the Son of God is the one that has just changed his life, that's just healed him. And now it's become 
more important than just the fact that he can see with his eyes? Now he believes in the Son of Man. Now he's acknowledging this, this healer as his Savior. As the person who not just changed his life for that day, now changed his life for eternity. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking, you, uh, speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And this is a big emphasis that I wanted to make this morning. The fact that the man said, Lord, I believe, and did not stop. He could have said, Lord, I believe. Now I'm going to run on and I'm going to go see things. Because <laughs> I haven't been able to for years. What he did was, he said, I believed, and he worshipped him. We're making this correlation between the Pharisees and the blind man. The people that strive and strive in their own works to try to get to heaven because that's what they believe it takes and are so blinded by what's truly right there in front of them. A man offering to sacrifice himself for them so they can have salvation. And all they have to do is believe. See that. And they can't get it. But we have this blind man whose life was not all that great. He spent most of his time just begging because he couldn't see it. I mean, he couldn't go work, couldn't do anything else. And he spent his whole life begging, and suddenly someone changes his life, and he realizes, I see things clearly now. I believe in the Son of Man. And what did he want to do? He wanted to stop and worship. Now, I think in our lives, probably too many times we're like the Pharisees. I mean, we believe, but we still get caught up without even knowing it on our day-to-day -day basis of just trying to strive and work for our salvation. Just trying to do what we can to make sure that we're there. I want to be a good person. I want to make sure that I'm doing what the Bible says following all these laws. I want to take care of my kids, my wife. I want to do a good job at work. I want to be a good friend. I want to do all of these things, but what's our motivation? Is it because we're just trying to strive to do all these things? Because without even knowing it, we're just trying to reach out and grab something that gets us to heaven instead of just acknowledging the only way we can get there. It's not about us. It's not about me. Jesus is standing in front of the blind man and he says, do you believe? And he says, I believe and he worships. That's our response. He's standing in front of us. We were blind, truly. Worse than what this guy experienced. We were truly blind. We had no way to see ourselves out of the darkness we were in. And then that day comes and bam, Jesus saved us. We believe. We've got a way out. We can see the light, and He's the light. And now we have this opportunity then to spend the rest of our days working and working and working and still striving for salvation. Or we can just turn around and be overwhelmed by that salvation that we worship. That we worship with our lives. And it may look a lot like the people who are trying to do all of these good things, but the motivation's different. It's not striving for something to find salvation. I've already received salvation. It's 
returning love to the Savior. It's worship. It's you chose to save me for some reason and give me eternity. Give me this ability or or this opportunity to reach out to you at any time. And what I want to do with my life is I want to be motivated to love and serve you every day. And so when I go to work, my motivation is to worship you. And so that changes my outlook. When I'm in my house and I'm talking with my wife and my kids, my motivation is to serve Christ out of love. And so I serve my family out of love. It's not obligation. It's not guilt. It's not striving for these things. It's not trying to do as much as I possibly can so I can obtain the salvation. It is a response. And that's the response that the blind man faced. I believe, and now I'm going to worship this man because he saved me, because he changed my life. I think for us, we've got to connect with that. We've got to be able to see how blind we truly were, how steeped in darkness we were, and then when our lives have been changed now because we believe in this Savior, we have this relationship with Christ, our motivations have to turn from striving and guilt and obligation to response. He did this for me. I love him. I'm going to spend my life worshiping him. Thirty-eight. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What what are we blind to? Are you talking about us? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. See, their problem was they already believed they had what they needed. But the ironic thing is, they were the ones truly blind. They were the ones that couldn't see it clearly. They couldn't get past themselves. They, had a, they thought they had it all figured out. We want to be more like this person who didn't have much. Jesus came along, changed his life, and he responded. And so I think the challenge for us, and the band can come up, the challenge for us, even if we think we're living our lives this way, is we've got to stop and check ourselves. Are we living our lives without even knowing it more like the Pharisees who think we've got it figured out and think we've got everything taken care of, but all we're doing is striving and striving and striving to get there when we've already got it? We've got salvation. How can we turn this around where our motivation is just being overwhelmed by the Savior and wanting to turn that around in love and worship and let that impact the rest of our lives? That's the challenge this morning. That's what I want you guys to get as we keep going through this this series in John. Don't forget that. And so as we come before the bread and the cup and we look at our own lives and the fact that Jesus did save us, that's a great time to acknowledge what He's done for us and to be able to fall at His feet and worship Him as we're looking at that sacrifice that was made for us. I wanted to read one more passage here in Isaiah Isaiah chapter 42, starting in verse 5. 
This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and light for the Gentiles. To open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Jesus came to set us free from our own darkness. I mean, we can't connect with, maybe only Kyle can can connect with a true blind person, but we can all connect with what it's like to not being able to see the light, the Savior, and then having that change. We've got to remind ourselves of what that looks like and how we respond to that. So as we come to this table, this is a great opportunity to do that. Look at your own lives. Look at the time that you went from being blind to now being able to see. And then just acknowledge that before your Savior. And then let that be your motivation to worship, to live, to serve. Father God, just thank you so much for this morning. Just thank you for what you do for us, Lord. Again, it's not about us, it's about you. It's about what you did for us, Lord. So I pray that we're able to check ourselves and be able to look at you and have that overwhelm us to love, to serve and to worship, Lord. So just thank you again, and I praise you in your name. Amen.